In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The book of Acts is the book that helps us to see the history of the early church, and very early in that book, in chapter 2, verse 42, we're given a summary of what life in that church was like from the beginning. Four things that they, the uh, writer, that St. Luke tells us, were characteristics of the church, the heartbeat of the church, if you will. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You can almost feel that beating heart coming through those words, can you not? A beat which still beats among us today. We gather around the apostles' teaching in the scriptures here every Sunday. We, every other Sunday in this service, celebrate the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. God's gift of fellowship. What a joy to be able to gather and know that we're not alone in this thing we call Christianity and in our walk of faith. We have each other to encourage one another and to lift one another up in the prayers. And we do that both here in a very special way and individually as the week goes on. Through these gifts, God draws us together and he builds us up in this faith and in not only faith toward him, but in fervent love toward one another. Fervent love to one another. It's a defining characteristic of the church. Or is it? You know, as we look back to that early church, we hear those four heartbeats of the church beating regularly, those idyllic early days, we need to remember that they were not without problems. Love wasn't always fervent. Love was sometimes, as a matter of fact, lost. The first congregation in Jerusalem was not comprised of perfect people, always raising holy hands before the Lord and worshiping Him and walking around with little halos hovering over their heads, they didn't look any different than you or me. They were sometimes weak, sometimes grumpy, sometimes a little thin-skinned, sometimes insecure, people who were very often quick to assign blame to somebody else, but me, no, I don't have any problems. Yeah, slow to accept responsibility. People just like us. In other words, they were people in need of a Savior. The specific issue that erupted is exactly the kind of issue that erupts in churches all over the land yet today. And so we focus in on Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Well, as you can hear in these words, this was a congregation that truly cared for one another, and especially for the least among them. In this particular case, they're talking about taking care of the widows of the congregation. Now, you've got to remember, this is long before Medicare and Social Security and IRAs and all of those kinds of things were ever dreamed of. If you were a widow, you were without means, you had no way to continue living unless somebody helped. And so the church started a kind of meals on wheels kind of thing, if you will, providing a daily distribution of food for the widows of the church. That sounds like something that God's people would do, right? We care for one another, so we make sure that everyone can eat. But then something happened. Don't know what it was exactly. We're not told. Maybe it was simply an oversight or maybe a miscommunication. We heard of the uh, Hellenists, that is, those who spoke Greek as their native tongue and those who were Hebrews who spoke Hebrew as their native tongue. And yet they gathered together in the same church. They worshiped together. But maybe because of that, there was some miscommunication. Uh, maybe it wasn't just miscommunication. Maybe there was some prejudice going on here. Whatever it was, it ended up that the Greek widows did not get the same thing that the Hebrew widows did. And then you can just about see it happening. The social media of the day, you know, the tweets and the uh, all of that stuff starts flying around, and before you know it, the whole congregation is tied up in controversy. Happens all the time in churches. The details and the cast of characters change from church to church, but the plot, still oh so familiar. An innocent mistake, a perceived slight, a misinterpreted comment, a simple oversight, a name is left out. Something like this is seized on and ramped up and exaggerated and magnified and gossiped about. It's like taking a five-gallon bucket of gasoline and throwing it on a candle. You can imagine what's going to happen. People pick sides, tempers flare, the body of Christ suffers. And the mission of the church... <laughs> What happened to that? All of the energy is put into put up your dukes and let's fight. Well, when this happens in the church, don't be surprised. Are we any different? Are we better than all the rest? 
I tell you what, we are very blessed here at Faith Lutheran. But we need to beware. The folks that were there, among whom uh, the people in, in this church, this first Christian church in Jerusalem, they're, they're the ones who made a difference in that church. They were the Magnificent Seven, we might call them. Remember those guys? They're not the most famous characters in the New Testament. Maybe that's because their names are kind of hard to pronounce, even for a pastor. Remember them? Nicanor and Nicholas, Philip, Prochorus, Parmenas, Timon, and Stephen. These seven laymen. Not ordained pastors. These seven laymen were well, they specialized in taking mountains and shrinking them back into molehills. The apostles had wisely and quickly concluded that their primary vocation, their primary calling, was to proclaim the word of God faithfully and fearlessly and to pray for the people, and they did. As far as carrying out this daily distribution of food, well, that was taking up so much time that something needed to happen, and so these seven were chosen. Lay people, not so different from you. They were men of faith. The Holy Spirit was at work in their hearts, filling them with that warmth of love and care for others, and so they were first chosen to be the peacemakers, chosen to be part of the solution, chosen to demonstrate fervent love to all in the congregation. These seven were the very first lay leaders of the New Testament, and that continues to this day. If you've ever served on a church board or committee, if you've ever been an officer or an elder in the congregation, if you've ever taught Sunday school or sung in the choir or helped with the altar guild, if you have organized a meal of one kind or another, whether it be within the church or for someone out there who is in need. It doesn't matter if you've counted the offering, if you come and help fill in the holes in the parking lot this afternoon. If you do any of these things, you are following in the stead of those seven that went before us in that very first church. For without your willingness to step up, without your willingness to support the work of the church with your time and your talent and your money, well, this congregation would quickly, very quickly cease to function. The solutions that you craft to the challenges that we face, the conflicts you help diffuse, the hard work you joyfully offer, all of these and more really do matter. Matter for here and now, and they matter for eternity. Most of the time, no one's going to stand up and applaud you. I thank you, all of you who serve so faithfully. You may not long remember those who have tactfully diffused a brewing conflict. You may not always be remembered for putting the best construction on the motives of those others in your life, and especially in the life of the church. Were they really trying to do good? 
How could they? You may not be remembered for these things, but if you step up and make a difference in the church, then how wonderful. And guess what happens when you do? You probably get asked to do more. You know, if you've got a little time to give and if you're willing to use it, then maybe uh, the next time something comes along, everybody's going to remember and more responsibility, more meetings, more volunteer hours. Yeah. Which leads us to a really important question that we need to answer today. Why bother? Why bother? You hear that sentiment sometimes from people who've gotten burned out in working so hard in the life of the church. People who've tried to do the right thing only to have things backfire on them when they're seeking simply to do good. These are the walking wounded, the disillusioned, the people who distance themselves from what we now call the institutional church. People who float from maybe church to church looking for that place where they can finally find that perfect church that will receive them and think the way they think and do the way they do. And sadly, all too often in our age, rather than going from church to church, a lot of these folks just plain give up. Well, the Magnificent Seven of Acts chapter 6 teach us that there is no such thing as a perfect church. No perfect apostles, no perfect fellow members, certainly no perfect pastors. There is only a perfect Savior. Let me say that again, because that's the heart of the message. If you don't get anything else today, get that. There is a perfect Savior around whom his church gathers. There always has been. There always will be problems in the church. So why is it that we do stick together? Why do we keep coming back again and putting up with all the stuff we put up with? Well, it's uh, kind of what we see in Stephen. Stephen was one of those seven selected servants that day. He's not an apostle. Not an ordained pastor, but he was faithful in the apostles' teaching. In other words, he knew his Bible because he'd listened and he'd learned and he'd taken it to heart. And Stephen was unafraid to tell anyone, anytime, anywhere what it was he believed on the basis of what he had learned from the apostles and the heart of what he had learned is that there is a perfect Savior. We can't do it, but he did. And that's what got Stephen into trouble. So much trouble that, well, we don't have time to dig deeper into the book of Acts. I wish we did. But Stephen was finally hauled before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem. And he spoke beautifully of the Savior before these men and by the time before he was done with his speech they were ripping their robes as a sign of anger and disgust and they dragged Stephen out into the street and there was even a man who later became an apostle there holding their coats while they stoned him with real stones Jesus alone is the way the truth and the life 
Jesus alone is the one through whom we come to the Father and come to the Father and to Jesus standing at his right side. That's what Stephen did that day. Before he died, this magnificent one of the seven cried out, Behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he did. And fellow servants, you and I will one day see the same. We will see heaven opened and the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, when the time is just right, not a moment too soon or a moment too late. We will see him in that place that Jesus has prepared for us by his dying and rising. Because you see, we're just like every other congregation in Christ's church. Yeah, we're still frail and fragile because we're sinful by nature. But to that, we must also add that we are forgiven of every sin. We are loved by God in Christ. You are equipped like him, by him, to be stewards like Stephen, carrying out your various callings in this life through faith and thus with strength and with joy and with integrity and with courage. Stephen, the first of many martyrs, but as the stones rained down on him, Stephen cried out with confidence, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he did. And that confidence is yours today also. Jesus has taken your guilt away. Your sin is atoned for. You will live forever with Jesus because he has made it so. You are saints in God's sight through faith in him who called us in our baptism to be members of his body, the church, and that is what we are. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we stand shoulder to shoulder with Stephen and with Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. Yes, like them, you are more than magnificent. You are saints of God. You really are forgiven and freed, loved with an everlasting love by the one who truly is Lord of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.